If the U.S. government, the media, the legal system, and the church can't keep democracy alive, it's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this. Hi, welcome back to Estate Sale. Brad here, trying to process last week's insurrection, or what some people are calling a self-coup. Whatever the name, it continues to take a toll on all of us as we await the Biden administration and some semblance of sanity. To make some sense of what happened, I decided to talk to another historian friend. Dr. Lance Janda is the chair of the Social Science Department at Cameron University, and someone I met on my very first day as a PhD student at the University of Oklahoma. In this episode, we attempt to place last week's riots in some kind of historical context and take a stab at trying to explain the major forces at work. All right. So let's talk a little bit. It's funny because when you and I were first talking last fall and it, it was your response, because I told you the, the premise of our podcast, you know, this whole kind of failure of institutions and stuff like that. And your response back was, well, one could argue that a lot of our American institutions have have actually uh, held up they've succeeded and and have after the election um as you know as as you know like republican attorney generals and uh, not republican attorney excuse, excuse me secretaries of state like in georgia uh arizona started you know saying nope sorry the numbers are the numbers i remember thinking god damn it lance was right i mean that you know the the democracy it it, it, it was kind of like the bend but don't break defense you know it it, it it was taking a beating here and then it kind of, you know, and, and one could argue that that's still what we're sitting here with. It's a much scarier beating we're taking now. So, yeah. So where, when, when did you, I mean, so what was your thought about that in terms of, uh, cause you argued, I remember in 2016 when, when fuckhead was elected, you, you came back and, and we were, we were exchanging emails. I was still teaching some at camera and you were like, I think we're going to be okay. I mean, I think we have these democratic institutions in place that are going to, you know, hold them in check, checks and balances, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say blah, 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 but it was implied. I mean, you're such a, you're right. such a, a good speaker. That I don't think you ever say blah, 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 but well, sometimes it's for fun. Heard yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as you were watching Trump all the way through these four years, um, and then this year, so what were your thoughts about these institutions, you know, because last fall you kind of said, "Hey, the institutions are holding up." What, what, what do you think about that in terms of like before the election and then after the election? You know, I, I, I have been struck, particularly since the election, how fragile the system is and how much it depends on whoever loses the election being willing to admit it. Mm -hmm. um, and and it turns out we were really lucky and really blessed for a long, long time. You know, Richard Nixon, nineteen sixty. He probably got screwed, but yep. but eventually he concedes. Al Gore loses Florida by 500 votes in the hanging chads. But even he says, well, and, and then he's got a 5-4 Supreme Court decision that goes against him. But even he finally says, no, we got to pull together as Americans. We finally got somebody that wouldn't do it. And there's no precedent for that. There's no, there's no clear mechanism for dealing with it. You know, 
somebody like me that's tries to be an optimist that, that that definitely is an institutionalist for a lot of the Trump administration I kept saying I can't believe what he's doing but it looks like the system's holding I can't believe what he's doing but it looks like the system's holding I can't believe what he's doing I hope he loses the election and then he loses and then things don't things don't work the way that they typically do and so so uh, you know I the hard thing with stuff like this is that, you know, I don't care whether it's 9-11 or the sinking of the Titanic. Nobody thinks it can happen until it does. Yeah. And then yeah. in hindsight, you look back and you say, well, were, were, were we all naive? Were we all right. stupid? Or should, or is it understandable that we got blindsided by this? And, and, and maybe it's both. You know, you, 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 you look at those horrifying riots last week and you think about how there's there were ex-military, there were ex-law enforcement, there were current law enforcement in the crowd. And you think, okay, what's happened to social norms? Yeah. And it's really hard because social media is so pernicious that somebody like, well, I'm not in the angry chat rooms that those folks are in. So I don't see it. And so my inclination would be, well, there's some of that out there. Yeah, the rhetoric's not good and we're less civil than we used to be. And the educational system's worse than it used to be. But, you know, the system's strong. It's got layers to it. But, you know, I actually got approached by the local paper to start doing a biweekly column on politics. And I just wrote the first one. And, and the first sentence is, we are standing at the edge of an abyss. That's my first sentence. Um, so. Now I'm now I'm deeply concerned because, you know, you think how how far down the rabbit hole does somebody have to go to think that the only way to, to protect the Constitution is to destroy it, to break yeah. it. And, that, and that's yeah, where yeah. some of our fellow yeah. citizens are at. And, and, and I it's going to take years because you can't just it's almost like you have to deprogram people. Mm -hmm. You have to start rebuilding their faith in the system. And I hope that critics don't judge everybody too harshly because you probably can't save the hardcore super radicals, right. but you got to right. try and pull some of the moderates or some of them back into the fold or else the thing can't work. So I think that's where I am. I am now. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I've said good things about the Cheney family this week for the first time in um, checks watch uh, since the 1980s, I'm sure. And the um, Mike Pence family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, although uh, him, I, I feel like, even he's still been kind of cowardly weaseling his way through this, even after Trump put a goddamn uh, target on his forehead. But yep. Liz Cheney, um, this is interesting. You just said about kind of reaching out to moderates. It's probably valid to point out that what we're looking for in terms of moderation here is not necessarily a political ideological moderation as much as somebody who is more in line of institutional kind of at least believing in the system you know because yeah. i mean yeah. i i think liz cheney if she were in a room you know that we would disagree on everything on everything about policy and yet she put herself i mean her political career is probably at risk her actual yes. life is probably at risk um which is yeah, that's not nothing you know so it's it's a stunning kind of turn of events in in that sense uh, well, let me switch here because you have taught the U.S. survey, I'm sure, much more than I have. I was thinking about when you said about the peaceful transition of power. You know, I've taught the pre a lot fewer times than I have the the post. Um, 
or when I taught, I mean, I taught it for you, uh, but it was all online. So we didn't have that kind of conversation going on all the time. Although I would always try to make the point when we got to the 1800 election to say, this is, this is, we often just kind of slip past this, but this is noteworthy. This is what def- differentiates us from other systems that you went a transfer of party uh, of power from one party to another without, you know, bloodshed, except for, you know, Alexander Hamilton. Um, but, you know, we're not going to sing the, the musical now, but um, uh, later, uh, you know, so there, there's that. And then it felt like I agree with you completely. We had these kind of this. We realized how much of our democracy and it's not just in terms of this election. It's in terms of everything from uh, the vote to stop signs to it, it is built on these basic kind of norms of understanding or belief that the system is worth at least adhering to. Uh, this is not a very well-framed sentence, but you know what I'm saying? I, I remember thinking in Iraq when we went in in Iraq and there was all this democracy building, wasn't that what they called it? Um, yeah. And so we go, you know, we go in there and I remember saying to Lisa, I said, you know, the thing that we often kind of confuse is that somehow bringing in elections makes, turns it into a democracy as, as if that's all it takes but they're all this kind of belief and trust in the system in our fellow human being and everything else. And so, but that aside, and we'll come back to that, I'm sure, because that is, I think, the thing that we're dealing with. But in terms of this kind of anti-intellectual, anti-democratic kind of concern, I am thinking, and I want you to kind of think about or ask or talk about this, is this, you know, right before the Civil War and right after the Civil War, that kind of bloody shirt kind of period. And and it, it's, I have to admit it's not, it's a period is a, there's that political kind of transformation is one that I have taught the least because I probably understood it the least. So like the know nothings and just, you know, the, the, the intense partisanship of the post civil war period that was probably maybe ameliorated just because of American West and, you know, railroads and industrialization and everything else there was kind of these ways of distract do you see kind of a a corollary in that 19th century political development with what we have now a little bit i mean and and certainly we had lots and lots of riots in the 19th century as you know you know there's labor riots and there's and there's um you know new york city draft riots in the middle of civil war the hard thing though now is that is that so much of this angry rhetoric is in private in the 19th century, right, it, it's either in newspapers or it's in pamphlets or it's in magazines. Um, yeah, people would give fiery speeches and yeah, you could have riots, but there, there wasn't an endless source of different source of, of different kinds of conspiracy theories and hate mongering going on. And now social media allows everybody to pick their own private rabbit hole where they can get in there and it's an echo chamber uh, where, where they get they, they get rage addiction. And they just stay angry all the time. And they're listening to the same thing mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they're not getting different points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not young people. They're not watching TV and they're not they're not reading the Washington Post. So I'm, I'm not saying traditional media doesn't matter, but it, it, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's it's it, and we're not even getting into the dark web. And so so I think the the. the the real problem that we struggle with is the, the depth of the anti-intellectualism. And, and it's ironic because people really love science. They, they love computers. They love the internet. They love their, they love Netflix. They love their phones. They're selective in what they decide to reject. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to reject doctors. They don't know what they're doing. Okay. 
And I, I really like, you know, I've been amazed since the, since the two us, you know, since the special election in Georgia, nobody's been complaining that that one got stolen. Right. If there was this big giant grand conspiracy, wouldn't that be a problem that I, it, I, I just, you, people are picking and choosing, mm. but it's difficult because the traditional ways that you fix that is you get them in a community gathering or you get them in a classroom or you get them in a group gathering or you get them exposed to the similar media, right? We're all reading the same newspaper. Mm. And those newspapers back in the day had an editor that would keep at least some of the crazy stuff out. I mean, young people today don't know what an editor is, but now there's none of that. So, so, so imagine picture some radical and doesn't matter if they're left wing or right wing, how are you and I going to get to them? They don't listen to what we listen to. They don't read what we read. They don't watch what we watch. That's the biggest difference. These sort of things have always been with us, but, but the, but the social media has ramped it up on steroids. And so I'm, I'm about convinced that our experiment in an open internet is going to have to end, that you're going to have to tell all the social media platforms that they're just like a newspaper and they're responsible for the content that gets posted on them. Because I think as human beings, and, and you know, you and I could go on a huge rant about how terrible social media is psychologically and emotionally for human beings, how people get addicted to it, right? Old school, you'd read the newspaper in the morning, get pissed off, go to work and forget about it. Now. You're getting alerts 24 7, 365, and you're staying yeah. pissed off the whole time. It's not healthy. Yeah. It's, it, it's, and, and so, um, and, and you know, it, it's not unique to us, the Europeans, all the, all the industrial democracies are dealing with this, but we're going yes. to we're gonna have to find a way to do it. So, you think, by the way, that the, the biggest issue here really is that conspiratorial, uh, fact free kind of rabbit hole that you call it. I mean, that that is, that's the driving because, because I have a counter argument. So I absolutely agree that that's a problem. And the fact that, that social media has, uh, is just a breeding ground for that kind of thing. The other part of this, I think, um, is this authoritarian impulse that I think I will say for me, I'm not going to speak for you on this. I'm asking, I think is that I have downplayed that as a fringe belief in American history that those were, and you know, I've been reading a lot of black authors of late, especially since the, since George Floyd and, and stuff like that and reading on race. And there, there are people out there that are saying, you know, essentially you guys talking about democracy. This is not who we are. We haven't had a democracy, a full democracy in this country, um, until until really 1964 and 1965 with the Voting Rights Act. That's when we finally got close to a democracy. That the American South was essentially, and, and is, I think probably that's the concern, the American South, now rural South, uh, is essentially anti-democratic, pro kind of authoritarian kind of rule. So you understand what I'm asking here. It feels like we've yeah. got a couple different things going on here because there are people in the Republican Party who are not necessarily prone to conspiracy theories, but who, if you pull them, you're going to find that they have, a, they really do like a strongman bully authoritarian kind of figure. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah, no, and you got a, you got a lot of those, those, uh, those anti-government authoritarian feelings out West, right? Where, where you are, you know, get out into Idaho or Montana or, um, 
there's always an element of that in human nature, right? If you know, the psychologists will always say, look, the number one driving force in all human beings is fear. Mm. It's instinctive. And that's why, that's why politicians use it. Vote for me or everything goes to hell. Right. Vote that guy out or everything goes to hell. Right. And some people are callous with, with fundraising off that fear, right? Well, if I keep sending them texts and keeping them scared, they'll keep sending me money. If I keep sending them texts and keeping them scared, they'll vote for me. And it'll be okay. It won't get out of hand. But then it does. You know, it's, it's, it's the reason you don't, you don't assemble an angry mob in the first place because you really don't know what they're going to do. Right. Yeah. You might think you know. It was, you know, honestly, it was not to get off topic, but it was one of my huge criticisms of <clears throat> Obama's foreign policy, particularly in like Libya and Syria. I don't like dictators any more than anyone else does, but a stable dictator is better than anarchy from a, not at home, but from a foreign policy perspective. Yeah. And when you blow up some government, you don't know what's going to come next. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, you end up with something worse. And so you're better off not doing it. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we, the founders recognized it. It's why, it's why members of the armed forces, God bless them, swear an oath and allegiance to the constitution. Not, not to, to the president. Person. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's why, it's why police officers and elected officials do it. But some of them get so wrapped up in, and there's nothing new in this, but they get so wrapped up in their own patriotic fervor that they think, they're the real patriots and they have to act to save everything from whatever it is that scares them, whether it's, and, and typically, and it, this is psychological too, it's people that look differently than they do or act differently or have different sets of beliefs. We, we are intensely tribal as a species and it's really, really hard to get us not to be that way. And a lot of our tribalism is harmless. Somebody's an OU fan, somebody's a Texas fan, somebody's a Denver Bronco fan, whatever. That's tribalism, mm-hmm. but there's a, there's a point with politics where it can get divisive. And then we're, you know, we're, our system's not perfect. You only got two parties. You know, I, 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 I would argue a lot of the, the really radicals, they're not Republicans. And what's alarming is they don't care when George Bush or Liz Cheney or Dick Cheney or, or Mitch McConnell or Mitt Romney or traditional Republican leaders condemn them. They don't care. That's not who they're marching for. And it's like, well, okay, <laughs> okay. If this isn't a party thing, then, then, then what is it? I was, I was struck when uh, what Don Jr. said at that rally before the riot started, this is not their Republican party anymore. It's Donald Trump's Republican party. Well, okay then, and 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 you know the signs of the signs of the signs of a cult is when it's all you, you, right. You don't see people. I mean, the last Republican convention, they didn't even have a party platform. And eh, we're just voting for Trump. It's whatever he says. Yes, yes, yeah, and and the flags that the folks carry don't say you know low taxes, you know better health care. It's got a person's name on them. What if Hillary Clinton had denied the election and a mob of people carrying Clinton flags had stormed the Capitol? Or the obvious one, what if the mob had been black? Or what if the mob had been Islamic extremists? Or what if the mob had been Latino or, or you know, whatever? And so Okay, well then we're we're stepping into that other area, right? That that so far you and I have danced around. 
that issue of race. I mean, that, that we're, I mean, how much how much of that, even though we talk about these conspiracy theories and their prevalence, and I know that actually, at least from what I've read, and I've been sort of scared off of d- digging deep into the Q kind of thing, just because I, you know, have enough kind of stresses. Uh, and I remember James said, you know, one of the things about that QAnon thing is that it isn't like limited to a certain demographic. You know, you've got people of all ages, of all kind of backgrounds kind of pulled into this. And yeah, what we saw on that Capitol, even though there were a few people of color, it was largely a white mob. I mean, it was largely white. And so that issue of race, you know, people have said Trump is the, Lisa was just saying it this morning, uh, Trump has given voice to, you know, white grievance. So we we have a couple of different things coming together. Maybe we don't want to use the term perfect storm because that's probably overused, but we've got an authoritarian impulse. You've got, I mean, uh, Robert Jones in his book, uh, White Too Long, which you, if you haven't read that, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend giving, uh, giving it a read, especially after your time in a Baptist church. <laughs> You'll appreciate it. Um, but, you know, a lot of what he talks about in terms of white grievances is all focused on that year. What is it, 2043 or 42, somewhere in there where where whites will no longer be in a majority. Um, that That is clearly a fear in a lot of the people that we see. So we have we have authoritarianism. We've got conspiratorial mindedness. We've got white supremacy, I think is probably the best way to put it, right? That's coming together here. And then you have this other group of politicians who are, they just don't give a fuck. They'll use whatever tool is available to them. You know, the Ted Cruz who who Trump mocked the appearance of his wife, suggested that his father was uh, complicit in the, in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And, you know, Cruz denounces him in 2016 at the national convention and then turns around and becomes one of his most craven defenders. Ted Cruz is not, doesn't follow Q. He doesn't, you know, I mean, he's, this is all just, so so you know what I'm saying? we got these different pockets that that seem to be coming together and finding an odd kind of coalition of evil. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, but it's absolutely true. And, you know, if you study a you know, if you get into disaster theory, you know, it, it, it like, like, you know, Titanic or, you know, there, there's actually people that study this stuff. And, and the, the short version of what they typically find is, is when something really bad happens, there's almost never just one cause. Right. It's generally there's a whole bunch of things that either nobody saw coming or nobody connected. Everybody knew about each thing in isolation mm-hmm. and they didn't understand how they would interact. You know, I found I, I taught a conspiracy class a couple of years ago. And one of the best books I read is called Suspicious Minds. Conspiracies fill a, fill a deep seated need in us. We want to understand the world. And so when things happen that we don't like, we search for a reason. And if we can't find a reason that suits us in traditional media or wherever, we're going to look for another one. And that's what these people are doing. And, and it's it's fascinating because you can. The two, the two to me, two of the weirdest things about most conspiracy theories is one, they don't rely on evidence. In fact, they rely on a lack of it because what they say is the proof that the, the fact that there's no evidence proves how insidious it is. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is, and sometimes this is a way to diffuse people who buy into it. Is say, well, look, you, if you really believe that, you must believe that Democrats. Right. Let's say you're a QAnon person or let's say you believe the election was fraudulently stolen. You have to believe Democrats are geniuses. If you really think there were thousands of people in multiple states all in on it, 
And they not only didn't leave a trail, didn't get caught, but none of them talked. None of them squealed. It's impossible. They'd have to be right. And so, but it's hard to do that one at a time. And, and, and you get into the, the problem with social norming, right? I think about, I remember I was going to, in fact, I may do a column on this eventually, but when I was, when I was young, I went to a baseball game with a friend of mine and I didn't play. He was a real good little league player. And I said something stupid to the, to the, to the umpire and his dad got all over me and he should have, and I never done it again. Social norming, mm-hmm. socialization, there are mm-hmm. things we say and things we don't say. Well, nobody's doing that online, right? If, if you go into one of them, right, it's happened to everybody on Facebook, right? M- much less some dark rabbit hole on the, on the dark web. You get shouted down. And often what happens is the nice, kind people who don't want to deal with it, they just check out. And you end up, we end up conceding the field to the angry, you know, militant crazies because we don't want to deal with them. And that wouldn't have happened a hundred years ago because a hundred years ago, if we're all face to face, the person who said something stupid would have gotten socially normed and said, no, no, you can't say that. Okay. Get out of my house, leave my party, go away. But now all the nuts can find each other. I was, I was struck at how many people, and this blows my mind too. People flew in from all over the country for that rally last week. And a lot of them were wealthy. They were taking private jets like it was it, like it was almost it was like almost, uh, um, you know, an affluent party. Oh, we'll go overthrow the government. I'll be back. I'll be back in time for work on Monday. And, and I, I'm like, OK, what do you think? What do you think comes after? Mm-hmm. And I'm particularly always amazed by people that draw government paychecks, but hate the government. We need to overthrow the government. Where's my VA? Where's my Social Security? Right. What do they think happens if they why did, why did that? Why did that bridge collapse? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to snap too hard the other way, but it's, 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 it's concerning. And, and on the issue of race, I think the, I think the George Floyd riots, the black lives matter movement was far more upsetting to a lot of Americans than other Americans realized or wanted to admit. Right. If you're sympathetic to matters of racial justice, maybe it was easy to go, well, yeah, the violence is terrible. But there's a lot of history here. There's a lot of cause for it. Um, or maybe you think, well, Portland's crazy, but I don't live there. So whatever. I think a lot of really conservative people, particularly in the military and law enforcement, saw property damage, saw disrespect for courthouses, saw statues being torn down and saw people not being punished. And in their minds, that normalized that kind of behavior. And they said, well, if they can do it, I get to do it too. Mm. I don't know. It, it, it's not what happened in 68, right? Back in Vietnam when the riots were so awful, it was conservatives who said, okay, no, no. And then you get Richard yeah. Nixon and you get some, but I don't know what, and, and you could have a bad cycle because if things get worse, the government will have to crack down and that right. will simply feed Oh, I knew Biden was a dictator. Oh, I knew the government was evil. Oh, I knew right. they were going to take away our guns and our freedoms, and and then the thing spirals. Yeah, I mean, it is it, it, your your point about conspiracies, by the way, and evidence is instructive, and we've just observed it happen. 
in the space of a week or so, Bill Barr went from being the savior, the the attorney general who was standing up for, you know, uh, Donald Trump to a member of the deep state who had sold him out. And Mike Pence, who has spent four years with his lips firmly pressed to Trump's ass, had a death threat, a legitimate. I mean, honestly, we don't th- I don't think we know how close we were to having that man uh, hung in front of the Capitol. I mean, I'm, and, you know, that's not hyperbole. That is absolute. We were really close to seeing members of Congress executed on live stream. And I think that's dawning on some of them. Uh, not enough, perhaps. I will say there's another part in terms of adding to this, because there's a part of me that still clings to, and I hope this is not naivete on my part, that still believes that this is mostly fringe. Uh, The the people that are in that Capitol building with, you know, with uh, zip ties, uh, or actually they're not zip ties, right? They're cop handcuffs is what those were. In terms of the population of the United States, I mean, there were far too many people there to make us feel safe, right? But in terms of the population in the United States, you know, Trump's Trump's approval rating I just saw this morning is down to 29 percent, which is the lowest it's ever been. So there's a section of his hardcore base that didn't budge off of anything until now. And then one other factor here that what we see in terms of a shift among Republicans, whether it's Liz Cheney, who may be acting out of complete conscience, I'm going to give her that benefit of the doubt right now. Mitch McConnell, I don't believe has a conscience, so I can't believe that his stance is conscience-based. But what they were seeing and are seeing is corporate leaders saying, we're not giving to these people. So there's this element of, in terms of if we we step back away from this, maybe this is me trying to find a silver lining here, which is oddly a, also a problematic lining, is that capitalism as you and I have been talking about for 30 years, it feels like capitalism seeks uh, stability and profit. Doesn't like this kind of shit. This makes people really unhappy. So there is an element of, of perhaps a mitigating factor on this kind of extremism is just the fact that Nike is going to say, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, a Dow chemical, Dow chemical, who I think is probably the spawn of Satan. Um, they are. This was too much for them. And they're like cutting off funding for, for the people who voted to, to overturn the election. Um, yep. Yep. So I, I guess one of the possibilities here, we, we have no idea what's going to happen as, as, as historians are fond of saying, we're good at looking at the past. We're not so good at predicting the future, but there is a possibility here that Trump creates his own party that his, his spawn of his, I mean, and they're not very smart. And that that has been in our advantage, right? They're they're good at manipulating, but they're not good at thinking stuff through. That they go off and they primary the shit out of anybody who dares uh, speak out against Trump. Uh, Republicans, mainstream Republicans, who have been kind of looking the other way, kind of hold on their own thing, and they're all kind of they're they're watered down to a certain degree. Um, and capitalism is there to say. All right, you fuckers can be racist. You can do all sorts of things, but if you start to overthrow the system, we're going to lose money, and we're not going to have any of that. Um, so there's a possibility here of seeing something. It, it doesn't explain, and I think partly where you and I are talking right now is you are talking a lot about those extreme individuals who are unreachable, and that that, and I think that's an absolute legitimate concern. Um, and then there's these systemic kind of things. And there's a part of me that wants to say we can deal with some of these nut jobs with their occasional IED and their occasional gun violence kind of thing. We can manage that. 
what we can't manage is having our entire systems kind of overthrown. And if we can keep the systems, the institutions at least functioning, then we can with la- uh, outlast these fuckers. That's a technical term. So feel free to use it. Oh, it's all right. I, I like it. It's precise enough. It's funny that my, my other historian thing I've been saying lately is, you know, bad times are a lot more fun to study than they are to live through. <laughs> um, oh, shit. No, I, I, I've been struck by big business, too, because I, I don't know how things are there. But it was it was big businesses that helped to normalize what mask wearing. Mm. Right. The state government wasn't going to do it. And a lot of the locals were angry about it. Um, which I just, I just will never understand. And, and, and then I thought, well, hey, you know, what if the mortality rate was 50%? Yeah. Would it be okay then? Would, but anyway, yeah. but yeah, so corporate America rides to our rescue. They normalize mask wearing, they cutting off these candidates, at least in the short run. Um, I, I think the, and I think you're right. We, we could have a, a, a rough period that 20 years from now, we look back on it as a bump in the road, but you know, the, the concerns I have is that y- y- we need elected officials to, to dial down their rhetoric. Mm. And what they've been doing is successful in terms of money raising and it's successful within their own district. Mm-hmm. And some of them, whatever their private thoughts, they're deeply afraid of not doing what the mob wants. Yes. And, and yeah. that, that concerns me too, right? I don't know if it'll matter, you know, if there's, mm. enough, if there's enough, there might be enough radical groups that step up and take care of the funding stream, or maybe the funding stream doesn't matter in East Texas because they're going to vote for whoever anyway. Mm. Um, and, and I'm even more concerned with, and of course, I'm concerned with the political rhetoric of the party leaders, because if the last four years teach us anything, it's that leadership matters and words have meaning. Um, yeah. But what if the party splits? Right. I, I, I wouldn't I, I don't want that because I don't want whatever moderate Republicans are left in a minority party that can never win. Mm. Um, and then I worry about the, the, the long term. And by long term, I don't mean 20 years. I mean, five years. All the senior leaders in Congress are old. Who comes next? Pelosi's 80. Graham's old, McConnell's old, Romney's old, these sort of old school institutionalists who you could hope would do the right thing, right? And right. I, does Ted Cruz come next? Yeah. Is it John? I don't know who it is. And I and I, oh, you'll love this. So Jim Inhofe did the right thing. So speaking of someone you never said and ever said a good thing about. But Jimmy sat back and said, yeah, no. Mm. But senators can do that. And maybe he can do that. But uh, and, and James Langford, who I was sort of starting to think was semi-sane, was, was for it. And then he got scared. And then, we, and then he bailed and did the right thing. But still, he... Uh, Langford, by the way, having been in Oklahoma and then, and then in Colorado, we just got rid of Cory Gardner as, as senator. To me, Langford is Cory Gardner. I mean, they're they're, they're just yeah. sort of, you know, just they want to smile and want people to think that they're good people and everything else. But they really, when it comes right down to it, um, I, my ex, uh, my understanding of Inhofe, by the way, is that he's really good friends with Mike Pence. And and seeing Trump cross Pence was was what actually really bothered him. That wouldn't surprise me. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I had when all, you know, in the in the lead up to January 6th, I had emailed Inhofe and Langford. So I ended up on Langford's email distribution list. 
And after January 6th, I got, it's the longest email I've ever seen from a public official. It, it's like, it's like eight or nine pages. Wow. And it is well thought, well researched. It's got footnotes and he'll occasionally say, if you've read this far and I didn't agree with all of it, mm. but it wasn't crazy. Mm. He was trying mm. and he was trying to make the case that, look, I was just saying, let's look at the election. Mm. And so you can convince me that there were some people like him who said, look, I'm not trying to overthrow it. I just have these concerns we want to look at. And I think what he didn't understand is that by that time, the mob was whipped into such a frenzy that that sort of nuance was going to be lost on them. They either wanted what they wanted. They were either going to get what they wanted or we were going to have problems. And, and so I hope we can get through the inauguration with no problem. I still think most Americans, even the crazies, would hesitate to go after an American soldier. I think they would. I think they. I, I, I'm hopeful there would be an outrageous backlash if the violence continues. Um, but but the left needs to not go crazy. And I got a MoveOn.org text today saying Josh Hawley's a traitor. Send us five bucks. And I'm like, okay, see, so you're not helping. You're not helping. That 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 kind of whether it's true or not, the language doesn't help. Does that make sense? So. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting the the breakdown of and and we need James in here or something like that. But that it feels like that there was a breakdown that occurred in the last twenty years that essentially kind of decapitated the parties. Not completely, obviously, they still have they still have power. But you know, I think it had to do with that fundraising and 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 Citizens United that essentially kind of took the legs out. It used to be that the party controlled all the money. You know, West Wing, you're watching West Wing and they, you know, they go to some guy and they say, sorry, we're not, we're not, if you don't vote for us, you get no funding for your next election. Um, and that guy hopped right in line. Well, now you've got a situation where, you know, I mean, because honestly, this is, this is part that actually drives me crazy. If I can have my little pet peeve here is when people talk about uh, either the Democrats or the Republicans and say, well, you know, uh, I've, I've had it most on the left where people are like, well, if the Democratic Party would stop nominating, you know, these middle of the road or whatever people, if you're a Bernieite or whatever. And I'm like, you know, it the party, the party does what it does, but people voted. And that's true with the Republicans, too. I mean, we can we can badmouth the Republican uh, leadership in terms of the rise to 2016, but they did not want Trump. They were trying to they were trying to do everything they could to get a Jeb Bush or somebody more reasonable in there. And the people wouldn't have it. So we could, you know, I mean, part of that has to do with the fact that the parties don't have the power that we thought they did or they, they, I mean, financially. So, um, you know, that that to me is somewhat of a factor. And and maybe what oh, we're seeing and what we're seeing this week is that if if Wall Street or if, you know, corporate America, big business, you know, says, nope, sorry, that's too far. You see, you see, even even hardcore politicians shift, at least at least for right now. And you're right. I mean, we don't know if I mean, maybe in two weeks, all of those companies change course and say, well, you know, both sides, blah, blah, blah. And they start, you know, doing what they're doing. That's very possible. Um, but I, I just think it's interesting that kind of we've got a lot of swirling little variables here that are, you know, that are interconnected some of them are new some some of them are newer some of them are not new but yep. you know and then they're thrown into the mix of social media and you know i mean i'm sure you were struck by 
I, I often use that documentary on 1968 uh, called 1968, the year that something. Change I mean, America or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a great, it's yeah. a great doc. You know, it starts with Tet and goes all the way through all the, all the things. And, um, you know, so you have these images of, you know, marching black workers in Memphis right before uh, Martin Luther King is assassinated. You've got uh, pictures of some of the devastation after the summer riots. And um, but when you're watching that shit from last week, every other person was holding up a phone live streaming or or videoing the thing. I mean, it was it was in some ways the most bizarre on one hand. Yes. you know yes uh, yes it was it was such so no i'm live streaming it and 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 no i had the same thought where i'm like okay these are not it's so part of me is like mocking millennials everybody is so vain everybody's doing this with their phone okay but then it was these people don't look like revolutionaries they're right. strolling through the capitol dome taking pictures so you can absolutely convince me that most of them went because their president said that's where they were going if they weren't at the front where the violence was and they were at the back mm -hmm. after the doors, nobody's there. Hey, can we go in? I guess we can. And they wander in and then they milled around and they left. So one of the things I think, you know, if, if a lot of us, a lot of people on the left have been saying, Hey, don't blame everybody on the left for all those riots last summer. That was for just the hardcore mm -hmm. radicals. Okay, fine. But they got to be able to extend the same thing to conservatives. I, uh, you'll, you'll be interested in this. I just saw a story. Republican Senator James Langford of Oklahoma apologized to black voters in Tulsa for questioning the results of the presidential election. Saw that. So maybe there's hope, um, but it, it's, it's going to be, but you're right about, you're right about campaign finance. Uh, Citizens United was a real problem. And so you have people Again, it all goes back to these. Mm -hmm. They can reach out straight to the voter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and Trump was a genius with Twitter. Mm -hmm. And he was charismatic in a way that I think was hard for people who didn't like him to appreciate mm -hmm. how, how fervent and absolutely committed. It's a cult of personality. And so that, that makes it really hard to back away because you can't reason with that. Mm -hmm. You can't say... No, here's why we let's have a debate over healthcare reform. Okay. Mm. You can't debate. I love, I love oh God, you you love it in Oklahoma. The, the joke now is that the Cleveland Browns are really the Oklahoma City Browns. Because right. everybody in Oklahoma is a Brown, not everybody, but all the OU fans yeah. uh, are rooting for them. Uh, why am I drawing a blank? Because of uh Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, it it it's it's and it's tough. I think the Republican Party is secretly hoping Trump goes away, but I don't think he will unless Congress votes and says you can't ever run again. Mm. Um, and that'll be contentious. And it's like the, it's like the Twitter ban on the president. I Twitter bans people every day. But they've never banned anybody that high profile. And so I, I get it if people are like, oh, it's persecution. Yeah, but nobody ever pushed the boundaries like he did. Yeah. You know, that, that some people I know were attracted. I've had people tell me, well, they really like the fact that he was a uh, not dysfunctional. What's the word I want? Uh, disruptive. Hmm. Now, you know, that was that was a hot. Oh, it's a, he's a disruptor. Well, if you disrupt the system too much, it breaks. Mm -hmm. So I, I ironically am, and maybe it's not ironic because I'm getting older, but I'm becoming more and more of an institutionalist. 
Um, give me a stable election, even if I don't like the person, as long as they're sane, and I'll work for the next election. Yeah. We'll try again the next time. Because that's that that's that's better than this. And 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 yeah. you know, you we haven't we haven't talked about the rural urban split. That's an issue too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure you know Republicans have lost a majority of the popular vote in seven of the last eight presidential mm-hmm. elections. And that's a really hard one because I mean, are you I, I don't know, I actually don't know Colorado politics, but I always talk to students about Oregon a lot. You got Portland and then you got Alabama. The rest of Oregon is Alabama. And Portland has so many people in it, it does what it wants. Eh, rural people get frustrated with it. Yeah. Michigan's like that. Pennsylvania's like that. And yeah. so how are you going to get rural people who are predominantly white and conservative to buy in to a more diverse America that's mm-hmm. going to be more and more driven by urban voters who believe in diversity and who don't always look like them? And so, that goes back to what you were talking about with race, I think. Yeah. And, and by the way, you just described Colorado politics, too. You got Denver, Boulder. You know, you have the the resort towns. Fort Collins is actually pretty Democratic, but right on all of our I mean, we're only 180,000 people. So it's not that much bigger than Norman. You get too far out into Larimer County, our county. And you've got, re- yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's absolutely has some of that same. I mean, after all, one of the people that now is being accused of possibly leading one of the tours in the, in DC the day before the, um, on the fifth is that a uh, gun toting QAnon, uh, person from Western Colorado. I mean, so that's, that's you, you, exactly, you're exactly right about that. Um, we'll see. and it'll be interesting if, if as more and more information comes out, are people going to support kicking a few folks out of Congress? Are mm-hmm. they going to support firing police officers that were involved in it? As far as I can tell, the FBI is, you know, trying to act like an avenging angel across the country. Yeah. And yeah. I presume most law enforcement's with them and, and that's all hopeful and good. But then again, if you martyr these people, do they then jump back down into their conspiracy holes and say, see, I told you it's, mm. it's, it's going to be a long-term thing that we have to work our way out of. One other possibility here. And this, you kind of spoke to this in this rural urban split. I mean, you guys in Oklahoma, I mean, you and I've been talking about this again for a long time too. Keith Gaddy at, at OU has been talking about, you know, all of rural Oklahoma is essentially kind of slowly drying up. I mean, Oklahoma is different than any other state I've ever been in, in the sense that your urban centers are, are reduced to essentially, um, you know, 23rd Street in Oklahoma City and then parts of Tulsa. Um, but you don't really have urban centers in Oklahoma the way you do, you know, like with downtown Denver and all stuff right. like that. You just don't have Although, that. Oh, we did elect the first and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to space now. It was she's a member of the state legislature. The first non-binary. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah. But, no, but no, I'm, no, right. And, and her part, district is this big and it's along 23rd. You're absolutely right. But, you know, I mean, that's that that is this part of uh, back to that 2042 or whatever like that. I mean, some of some of what people have been arguing for a long time. Robert Jones's book, uh, his book in 2016 was the end of white Christian America. Um, and so he's been talking about, so, you know, people have been saying this for a long time is that this is kind of what we're seeing is the last gasp of the Confederacy, the last gasp of white supremacy, seeing their, you know, uh, 
you know, whether it's it's white men who are seeing the fact that now they are very likely or is not unlikely if they work in a in a in a business, they're not going to be the boss and their boss might be somebody who's not a white male. Um, and so they're, you know, so that, you know, uh, Susan Faludi was writing about that back in, you know, with backlash and with Stift. I mean, she was talking about that kind of white male anger or and not even just anger, just sort of like, what the fuck do I do? You know, what, what happens now? Because what used to make sense no longer makes sense. Now, obviously, we've been calling that for that or assuming that death knell was there for quite a while. And obviously, with Trump, we saw a lot of that that come out of the woodwork. So there's that's there's that thought. The other thought I wanted to get to before I forget is this cult of the personality, because one of the things that Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton and and uh, Cruz are all banking on is that that base, that Trump base is their key to, you know, doing exactly what Trump did. And I've been thinking about that. That's possible. I mean, I'm, I'm not discounting that as a possibility at all, just as I'm not saying that in but fact, it's also possible they're only loyal to Trump and they scatter. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got people, the woman that was shot in the, I don't know if you read about her air force veteran. Um, she voted for Obama. Uh, was a supporter, still even said that Obama did some good things and then became this absolutely rabid Trump person. I mean, that blows my mind. I'm like, how the fuck do you vote for Obama and then switch? I mean, we had we know there are people who follow who were for Bernie in 2016 and switched from Bernie to vote for Trump. You know, that just makes my head explode because I'm thinking about ideology and policy and stuff like that. I'm like, there's no, but if you think about a it's Bernie, not here, it's here. If you think about Bernie and Trump as both being cult-like personalities, then it makes sense, you know. And so, and so, you know, does Josh Hawley have that kind of personality that he can step in? I don't think it's a plug-and-play kind of thing, you know. I think the fact that Ivanka Trump is talking about primarying Marco Rubio in Florida, uh, she might give Rubio a lot of trouble. Don't get me wrong, but I think this idea that somehow these people just can just take that and just use it. Maybe I'm hopeful, you know. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this.